you guys want to go ahead and grab a seat and uh, special uh, Sunday this week, uh, got a call from my uncle that he was going to be visiting Prineville and um, my uncle Rick is my dad's oldest brother and uh, had a, an, uh, well, all the, all the brothers grew up on our cattle ranch around South Po Valley by Bonanza, Klamath Falls, Oregon. And, um, and Uncle Rick would end up uh, leaving our family ranch and going and starting his own farm north of Klamath Falls. If you've ever driven down to Klamath on 97, right when you get to the lake and you pass the lake on the right, uh, there's some beautiful farmland off to the left there. And that was Uncle Rick's property there. And just a beautiful farm, and um, he had a an excavation business, and just as a young guy, just always loved Uncle Rick so much, and it was just so exciting when around um, about 2009 or so, he, same time I came to Prineville, he ended up going and pastoring a Calvary Chapel in Quincy, California, and uh, and then has retired just a couple years ago, but Uncle Rick, why don't you come on up, and he's going to share from the Word this morning for us, and I have a. I called my mom this morning and asked for a couple of pictures uh, from back in the day. So why don't we just share a couple of those? This is what she sent me this morning. So this is my mom and dad's wedding, and uh, Uncle Rick is there to the left of uh, Grandpa Buck there. And uh, so 1976, they had a bicentennial wedding. So it was red, white, and blue were the colors. Um, so and then. Uh, then this is out on our ranch in our front yard, so all the brothers and grandpa. So on the left is uh, Uncle Rad, then my dad, and then Uncle Ronnie, and Uncle Rick, and Grandpa Buck. Buck Rogers, right? You can't make this stuff up. <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, when my dad graduated from vet school back in 1997, this is a picture at the graduation party. So Rad, Ronnie, Russ was my dad, Uncle Rick, and then their sister Jeannie. So just a bit of the... Now, this probably explains quite a bit just in this picture, right? It ex- explains everything. But uh, it's just so wonderful to have an uncle that follows Jesus and serves Jesus. And his time down in Quincy, California was a very... How many years were you in Quincy? Seven. Seven years in Quincy, and you guys, what amazed me is Uncle Uncle Rick always reminded me of John Wayne in like so many ways, and being a cowboy and his stature and the way he walked and talked and looked and and the wonderful things about John Wayne that we all love. Um, and uh, some of you are like, I don't know about this, but um, what university was down there by Quincy? Uh, Feather River. Feather River University, man, you guys, so. How far away was that from Quincy? Right there. It was right in Quincy. I've never been there. Um, should have visited. Was I invited? I don't remember a formal. I was too busy. Yeah, but it's the horse school. The horse school. That's where they train all the equine. They go there to learn how to take care of horses. That's awesome. All the equine stuff. How old do you think you were when you moved to Quincy? Is your mic turned on? Have we done that? It's in your back pocket. I'm not going to check for you, but. Yes. There we go. Yeah. So how old do you, yes. So they'll kind of adjust it as we go. What do you think? How old do you think you were when you became a pastor and, and started the Quincy ministry there? I think we were about 57, 58. Guys, 57 years old when you become a pastor and go take on a ministry. Anybody about 57 years old or around that age? Have you ever thought about like just going for it? Huh? 
And um, one thing I just remember about that ministry was that uh, the Lord just took Uncle Rick and Aunt Charlotte. And by the way, um, I'll introduce you just in a second too, Julie. But um, Aunt Charlotte has passed away since then. But um, uh, but just they just went out on this campus and just started preaching the gospel. And college students just start start getting saved from just a man and a, his wife that just stepped out and just were full of the Holy Spirit and just went out just started preaching the gospel, you know, um, you just, just step out and do it. Right. If the Lord's calling you to oh, do yeah, something just... and just watch the Holy spirit move. Mm-hmm. And, uh, aunt Charlotte passed away a, a couple years ago from breast cancer, a long, hard battle, uh, with cancer. And, um, and then just soon after the Lord brought Julie into uncle Rick's life and just, uh, they've been married and been serving Jesus, uh, ever since, and they've got a property just uh, west of Klamath Falls and built a little little place where they do Easter services and stuff and just minister to the neighborhood and still serving Jesus. So great. And uh, Rick's oldest son, Rhett, is also here. You might remember him from the men's muster and Catherine. So anyways, big introduction, I know, but just so thankful for what the Lord has done for you. And uh, I will pass the baton right now to you, uncle. So yeah. All right. Love you. I love you too, buddy. <laughs> wow. What a privilege and an honor to stand at my nephew's podium. I mean, not many men have this opportunity. Not many men to see the next generation come forward. And that's quite an honor. I have a picture. He didn't let me put this one up. <sighs> Roy Lindsay, Laney is in the belly, and Russell is on the hip. Uh, we took that picture when I was coming back from uh, Crossroads and, and Vancouver, headed back to New Horizon and Klamath Falls on my way to Quincy. And at that time, Rory thought he was going to be called to Casper, Wyoming. And... Uh, he sat there and he says, I'm scared to death. He says, what am I doing? My wife's pregnant and I'm going someplace where I don't know anybody or have anything or a home or anything. He says, I'm out of my mind. And I said, God will take care of it. And sure enough, he was sent to Primeville, Oregon instead. What a blessing that has been and turned out to be. But God is faithful to us always, all the time. And uh, it's been quite a road to get here. Um some of the things Rory doesn't know because of his youth, I actually was preaching at the Gospel Mission in 1980. So we have, uh, we've had quite a, quite a life of this. And you'll have to excuse me while I butterfinger around here, but we have new tools and it doesn't want to work right now. <laughs> Don't turn this thing on ahead of time. That's what they tell you. This has been a warfare week. If you guys know what warfare is. There it goes. Okay. We'll get it on right before you came. I had it on right before I come on. (sighs) It's pretty interesting. We were here two years ago. Roy says, hey, next time you're in town, come teach. And so for a year, I've had this mess, two years now, I've had this message. Thought I was going to do it. And last year, we had a lot of health problems and health issues. As we get older, we spend more time in the doctor's office than we do anywhere. And so my year went to two years, 
But we're here now and we're blessed. So, um, Heavenly Father, as we come before you right now this morning, we just need your spirit to fill us as we open your word that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and an understanding so that we know what your word has for us this morning. So, Father, we just thank you for everything you do. In Jesus' name, amen. So, it's been a long time. You'll have to bear with me since I've done two services. So if I act a little rushed this morning in the first service, you'll just have to wait and come to the second service also as we come through this. Uh, what did I do? Well, that's where it goes. Okay. Hey, thank God for youth. They teach us older people what we should do. <laughs> How do we act, you know? It's interesting. I mean... As we look around today and see the world, you know, I, I don't know how many of you guys are seeing what's happening in our world. I mean, as we look around, we've got all kinds of things going on. In Klamath Falls, we have a irrigation issue with no water, and we're flooded. I don't know how many of you know where the Sprague River is in Klamath Falls. It's been at flood stage and over flood stage for over two weeks now in May. In the first of May, never heard of that in my life. I remember it flooding in December's and November's, but never in May. All that ground in the whole Sprague River Valley is underwater right now. And yet on my place at the lake, which is also underwater, we've got a moratorium that we can't irrigate. And I go like, how do you explain this? You know, all the reservoirs flow. So we wonder some things. We, we look at what's going on, how we explain different things that are happening. And... Uh, I don't know how many here, does anybody enjoy history? I love history. History is one of those things, you know. And to study history and to know what happened previously should keep us from making mistakes today. Because if you don't know history and take it into your heart and understand it, whether it's in your life, in your family, in your business, your job or whatever you do, you're going to make mistakes. And if you don't recognize what those mistakes are and what you did when you go forward, you're going to make the same mistakes over and over. You know, Einstein had a word for that. <laughs> you know, almost stupidity was a good word for it. If we don't follow, if we don't do what we're knowing. You know, so <clears throat> the cool thing about being a Christian is God gives us his word. His story, history, his story. And as we look at his word, we should take it in so that we understand what we're doing. It's a, it's a guide for how we live and what we do. And I like it just before our Lord Jesus was ascended into heaven. He's meeting with his apostles, his followers. And in Luke twenty four forty four. He tells them something, and this has always stuck with me. And he says, in, he says in 44, he says, and he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Isn't that cool that the Lord Jesus takes this entire book that we have before us and he opens our understanding so we know what's going on? Why do you think he would do that? So we would know his story and wouldn't make the same stupid mistakes that people do over and over again. 
And yet, what do we do? You know, I knew better. You ever, you ever said that? I knew better. What did I do that for? Yeah. I should have known better with what I did and how I handled it. I'm having fun today up here, guys. <laughs> You'll have to bear with me. So as we look in the Word, there's three things we need to look at. Number one is the story. I don't care if it's the story of David. I don't care if it's the story of Joshua or Moses or whoever. You have that story, those cool stories to look at. You know, the stories that we teach our kids in Sunday school. You know, we see those. Then the other thing is, is we have to find Jesus in them. Because that's what he said. These things are written about me. The scripture, they didn't have New Testament when he said this. They had Old Testament. That was what we know as Old Testament. That scripture, it's written about me. So we have to find Jesus there. And then we use them third to increase or to better our relationship with our God. Pretty simple, isn't it? So today I have chosen uh, one of my favorite scriptures to look at. And that's the book of Joshua. If you would turn there with me. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 5 today. And it's a great piece of scripture. Uh, 15 verses. For those of you who take notes and like outline, um, it kind of goes like this. The first verse is the world. The world is allowed one verse. The other 14 are for his people. So you have one verse for the world. You have 14. The second part you're going to see in Joshua 5 is obedience, trust, and believing. That's verses 2 through 8. The third thing you see is the goodness of God, verses 9 through 12. And then the fourth thing you see is leadership, verses 13 through 15. And that's how we're kind of going to break this chapter down this morning. So as we get started in it, Joshua chapter 5 starts like this. It says, So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were on the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over, that their heart melted. There was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. Now, kind of recap what happens in Joshua. Moses dies. Joshua becomes the leader. He's one of two men that were with them from the beginning when they came out of Egypt. The other one was Caleb. And they were faithful and believers. They followed God and obeyed him. And they were saved and came this way. But Moses had brought them out of the Red Sea, brought them out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, took them to the Promised Land. And all of the people had been seeing what was going on during these times. And they'd watched the Red Sea crossing. I mean, we don't think about this a lot, that old-time people would have news, you know. But they did. They knew when the Israelis came out of Egypt. They heard what had happened at the Red Sea. They had heard what happened at Mount Sinai. They had heard what had happened when they came to the Promised Land the first time. They knew that they were wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. They were watching this. And the reason is, you have over a million people wandering around in the wilderness, being supplied by God, 
And the world's trying to figure out, how's this happening? This is a bunch of slaves. What's going on? Because the world doesn't know God. The world had gotten to a point to where they weren't worshiping God. They didn't understand how God had worked. As Moses put it, and God says when he brought them out of Egypt, the sins of the Canaanites were complete. That means they had totally lost any reverence for God in their lives. Lesson number one, wherever you live, don't ever lose reference for God because it comes to you. How did the world feel about this? Well, prior to chapter 5, in chapter 2 of Joshua, in verse 9, Joshua had sent spies into a big city, a big military compound city kingdom of Jericho prior to crossing over the Jordan. And the spies went in and they meet a whore, or harlot, they called it in that day, named Rahab. And (laughs) it's interesting, when you look at verse 9 of chapter 2 of Joshua, and it says, And she said to the man, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and all of the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Shiloh and Org, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither does there any remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. So... We know how they felt. What we don't see is, or try to understand is why they feel that way. Why would they feel this way that they wouldn't turn to him? And that's because their sin was so complete. They were so deeply engraved in their idol worship and their self-worship. They couldn't see God. Even though he was right there before them and doing all these things, and they utterly feared him at that point. So... <laughs> They got totally involved in this, and they feared it. It's when ungodly humans encounter the power of the Creator, and they see Him in nature and events. They must deal with a truth or fear it, and they become angry when truth meets their disbelief. Because they cannot understand, they can't comprehend it, they don't want to quit what that is. The cool thing is, the Second Timothy one seven tells us something other, and that is that God has not given you and I, as believers of Jesus Christ, He's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Part of the reason is what we read back in Luke is because He opens up our understanding to the Word of God, and we can see what's going on. So you have this, <laughs> and the thing to say is, we don't fear. Man, or what the evil that man can do us. But we fear him who made heaven and earth, Rahab. And he has the keys to life and death, heaven and hell. And I worship him. And I'm going to honor him and respect him. And that's the difference between the unbeliever and the believer as to what happens to us. So now, (laughs) I'm rushing through this a little bit because of time. We get back to the second part of our study, and we know where the world is. They're they're messed up. They're in terror because Jericho 
I think you need to put this in a little bit of perspective. The entire nation of Israel crosses the Jordan River. God dries it up. It's at flood stage, just like the Sprague River is right now in Klamath County. It's, it's going everywhere. And you've got an entire nation needs to cross it to get to the east side to start taking possession of the land. God backs up the river. Jordan. He backs it up river. It goes up above floods. There's dry ground where they are. They cross over on dry ground. The entire nation crosses over safely. They come over. They camp at a place called Gilgal. We'll study that in a minute. And (laughs) the people in Jericho are petrified because they had seen the Red Sea crossing. They'd seen what happened to those kings over on the east side of the Jordan. And now this whole army comes right in plain sight of them and is camping there looking at them. And they're pretty close. And then here comes a miraculous thing. It says in verse 2, At that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again a second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel on the hill of foreskins. How many people do you know invade a land, take the beachhead? Think of this in World War II if you're a history study. We invade the islands in the Pacific. We invade Europe. We take the beachheads. And all of a sudden, we disable our entire fighting force in visual sight of the enemy. And we make it so they can't stand up, they can't walk, they can't run, they can't fight. They're totally disabled. In order to do that, you have to trust God. You have to be obedient and trust Him. They're in sight of Jericho. You know how close they were? We find that out in chapter 6 because they actually walked over and walked around Jericho and went back to the camp every day within walking distance of the enemy. And they're totally disabled because they're circumcised. They can't go anywhere or do anything. Think about it for a minute. All Jericho had to do was open up the gates, walk out with their swords, and totally slay them. Because they couldn't have done anything. They couldn't have fought anybody. That's obedience and trust in the Lord. Is your trust and your obedience that good? If you've seen somebody coming after you to do you harm, and God says, disable yourself, lay your weapons down and trust me to put the fear of God in him so he doesn't come after you. That takes a real trust. It takes a trust more than any of us had. (laughs) Um, Another verse that goes kind of along with this is 1 John 4.8. Not the gospel of John, but 1 John 4.18. And it says there very simply about where we should be. And it says, there's no fear in love. Perfect love has cast out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. As we look at fear, we look at Jericho. If you have fear in your heart, your mind, anxiety today, start trusting in the Lord. Because his perfect love takes care of you. 
He can protect you and take care of you as easily as he took care of the Israelis in the face of Jericho back there 1,300 years before Christ. The same God that took care of them can take care of you today. You have to trust him and believe that he can do that. Now, another interesting thing. When these Israeli soldiers went up to be circumcised, they had to think about what they were going to do. This isn't something that just went lightly by. You didn't have the nurses standing there with Novocaine or something to give you, put you to sleep. (laughs) I laugh about this. Anybody ever seen a flint knife? A little flint knife. I'm going to do surgery on you with this. Now let me tell you something. That's not like my knife that I use when I castrate a razor sharp switchblade thing that you can cut your finger off. You didn't even feel it. This is a piece of flint. How do you think that cuts and operates? Let me tell you something. You better trust God and you better believe God and you better know what's going on and why you're doing this. You got to think about it. I'm doing this because the Lord my God's going to take care of me. He's going to give me the promised land and we're going to be okay. That's what he does when he does that. It's amazing. Think about it. We don't really think about a lot of that anymore. (laughs) Oh, The reason we do that is in verses 4 through 8. And it says there, it says, And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt, who were the males, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people of the men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give it to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Moses circumcised the Israeli men as they came out of Egypt. For they had not followed the practice while they were oppressed in Egypt. They had uh, neglected circumcision. They had took some of the customs of the land and uh, not circumcision. They started worshiping idols and doing a few other things. And as Moses took them out of Egypt, he wanted to cleanse them of that. He wanted them to think about what they're doing. He wanted them to become a follower of Abraham again and, and renew that covenant as he circumcised them there. Then Moses gives them the law, leads them to the promised land. The spies go in, and the only two that wanted to go in and possess it was Joshua and Caleb. Everybody else was a coward. They didn't trust God enough to believe that he could take care of them, protect them, and give them the land. That unbelief caused them to die in the wilderness. See, God wants a people that are set apart for him. 
That's why we do circumcision. He's setting them apart. They had to think about what they were doing with the thin knife. They had to know that what was happening to them was because they were going to become a follower of God. It was an outward expression of the inward thing that was going on inside of them. People would look at them and know that they'd set them aside for God, that they had went through something, that they had bled, and says, I'm going to stand for God, and this is how much I feel for it. We do a lot of it the same way today when we have our baptisms. We do an outward expression of an inward thing that's happening inside of us. We realize that we want to set ourselves apart as a follower of Jesus. So we become baptized. We stand publicly before friends, neighbor, congregation. And we go into the baptisms of water. We're buried with Christ and we rise again new with him. That's that symbol that sets us apart. The symbol that we believe that Jesus is able to do what he says he's going to do. And we're willing to stand with him for that. The same thing that the Israels did. (laughs) And I think, wow, here these men are. Standing for God. Kind of to me, that's pretty well an ultimate symbol that you're going to stand for God to be whittled on with a piece of stone setting yourself apart but the joy that was before them I love the part about the land of milk and honey it's got to be a cowboy's dream when you think about it how do you get milk and honey you got to have grass Cows need grass, sheep need grass, goats need grass, camels need grass, horses need grass. That's how they make milk. How do you get honey? You've got to have flowers. Bees need flowers to make honey. And the amazing thing was, is when we were there in Israel, <laughs> Israel in the wintertime grows the flowers for all of Europe for the wintertime. They're still growing flowers there. They still have milk. I, I don't know if you've been there, if you have, if you've ever had what they, <laughs> they call a knockout ice cream bar. It's made by Nestle's, but Nestle's here in the United States doesn't know how to make an ice cream bar. They do know how to make it in Israel. It's the most outstanding ice cream bar you can ever eat in your life. Couldn't get enough of them. I probably had six, seven, eight of them a day while I was there. They're amazing. The guide stands there and he looks at me and he goes, you guys in the United States, you have Holsteins. He says, over here we have Goldsteins. It makes all the difference in the world. You know, that land of milk and honey. Wow. Oh, what a great thing it was. The other thing that's happened here in these verses is when they crossed over the Jordan... God kept his covenant, answered and fulfilled his covenant with Abraham. For in Genesis thirteen fifteen, he tells Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. You are going to possess this land. That was the Abraham covenant he had told Abraham before then. And so when they crossed over, they settled down on the plains of Jericho. God fulfilled his covenant. They got circumcised and they set themselves apart 
to set up a new covenant with God. That yes, we believe you. Thank you, Lord. They were grateful for what God has done to them. Fulfilling that covenant. Making a new one by setting themselves apart for him. We must honor those commitments we make to God. And keep him in front of us because God's faithful to keep his covenant. He's going to give us eternal life. And we must be faithful to honor and follow him as we go forward in that. And then we come to probably the most interesting part of the whole thing here. And that's the fact that in verse 9, Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore the name of this place is Gilgal, or called Roll Away. And it still is today. God took the reproach, those things from Egypt that his people had done. They were slaves embedded in Egypt. It took them hundreds of years to get to where they were. But they had got to the point they'd even killed their male children. They worshipped Egypt gods, the golden calf that they did with Moses. You know, they worshipped these things. It didn't happen to them overnight. Overnight they didn't come that way, but they became that place as they stayed there little by little. Sometimes our lives are the same as what happens to them. We allow something little to come into our life. It could be simple as our first drink, our first sex, our first taste of drugs, the first time we overeat, our first job become an idol to us, our first car becomes an idol to us. My first car, I polished it 24 hours a day. So happy to have it, you know. It became my idol. It could be the first lie I tell somebody. It could be anything that takes you away from your moral character and separates you from those you love and care for you, especially your God. And that is called sin. And we are all there. Because Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all done that. We've been there. And then Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We are all sinners and we are all saved by our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other way around it from those things that separate us. And as a gift, you don't have to work for it. For Romans 8 says, 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates his love for us that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Wow, God can take the reproach away. No matter where you're at today, Whether you're enslaved to something or someone, God can take that away from you. He is able to do that, just as he took away the sin of Egypt from the Israelis. And he rolled it away, their reproach. And Psalms 103.12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. It's no longer there takes them all away from us. Oh, in verse 10, we see the remembrance. They do something in verse 10 as they said, Now the children of Israel camped at Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month of twilight, the plans of Jericho. And they ate the produce of the land on that day after the Passover and lemon bread and parched grain the very same day. Mm. 
you know, they did something. After they set themselves apart, they worshiped the Lord. They remembered what God had done for them in Egypt. The fact that in order to be set free as slaves, somebody had to die. And in that day of remembrance, the angel of death came upon Egypt. And it killed all the firstborn. All the animals, all the males, all the firstborn of Egypt. The only ones that survived were the ones that had the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. They call it Passover because the angel of death passed over them. A lot like what we celebrate today when we took communion a little bit ago. We realize that because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, dying for us and rising again on the third day from the tomb, he has passed death over on us. He has given us eternal life. And we have to have that in our remembrance, and we have to do it as we do here every Sunday. We keep track. We honor God for what he has done for us. And then they eat the produce of the land. The manna stops. They had been in the wilderness 40 years having a visual sign of what God would do and take care of them. Now that they were in the promised land, they lived by faith. They had the faith to know that God is here every day for us. They lived by faith. They didn't have to have manna from heaven. They could look and say, God provides for us. They were sitting there... Jericho's locked up. Here's all the vineyards. Here's their barley fields. They eat the produce of the land. They have the goodness of God, and they know that God is taking care of them. We live by faith today. If you farm or raise cows or anything you do, you know that God is taking care of you. I can't get a calf to come alive myself. I plant dead stuff in the ground, and it grows grain. I have faith that God is able to provide for me. He's able to give us that goodness and keep us his promises to take care of us no matter what. Because we have eternal life. What can man do to me because I have eternal life with Jesus Christ my Lord. I'm going to take a few minutes later to the last part of this while we're here. And I think this is an important part of this. This is the part of this story I really love. I love it all. But the real lesson here in verse 13 And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man drawn, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or are you an adversary? Adversary. So he said, No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off of your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. I want to take a second and talk to you about leadership here. We are all leaders of some kind, and we are all under leadership. If you're a father, you're probably the leader of your family. If you're a mother, you're the leader of that small child is entrusted to you for you to take care of them, and you lead them. If you're a business owner, you're in charge or you're leading your men. You know, if you're a government official, you could be the leader of the country, but we're all charged with leadership. 
how we lead and choose the leaders we follow matters in the outcome of our lives. Who we choose to follow and how we lead is going to change our lives, either for the good or the bad. First, to be a leader, as Joshua was, you have to be a man who would seek God. We see Joshua standing as the commander of an entire nation. And he is off by himself looking at the next project. And he is seeking wisdom. He is a man that listened to what God had to say. So he's standing there looking at Jericho. Lord, how? What? And then we see him as he's seeking God and the knowledge He has to have a knowledge of who his God is. That man standing there could have been somebody out of the city of Jericho. He was by himself and he is there. So he asked him first, who are you? Are you a friend or foe? And then he recognizes who he is when he says, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. It's pretty obvious if you want to take time to read Revelation 19, 11 through 16. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's coming back on a white horse and hopefully I get to ride a white horse with him. I know I will because I'm going to be there with him. Hallelujah. That's the commander of the Lord's army. That's Jesus Christ himself. And Joshua recognizes who he is. And the next thing to be a leader is you have to be a worshiper of the Lord. A worshiper. Because what is Joshua? He falls on his face and worships him. He submits to him and says, what do you have me to do? As a leader, we must submit to God and worship him in order to be able to lead those that are under us. And we must follow a leader that is a worshiper of God and submits to him. That makes all the difference in your life as to how you do these, how you live and how it comes up. And then the third thing you have to do is never be too big or too busy to take your shoes off and spend time with the Lord. He desires to have a relationship with you. And the only way you're going to be able to hear from him is to do this. When choosing a leader, make make sure he has these qualities. Vote for a person who seeks God, knows him, worships him, and spends time with him. That's the thing to do if you want to have a relationship. That's what the Bible is trying to teach us in the Old Testament over and over. Follow those people who follow God. We want to be at that place. I had the privilege several times of meeting Ronald Reagan. Some of you may be old enough as I am to know him or who he was. Some of you may have read about him in a history book. Ronald Reagan declared a whole year the year of the Bible. You may not remember that. I had the privilege of standing before him and thanking him for doing that. And the thing that he looked at me and he said, no man can lead this nation correctly if he doesn't start his day on his knees as I do and seeks God's guidance and wisdom as to how to lead. 
He says, that's where I spend each morning is on my knees before anything else. And another thing about Ronald Reagan, he wasn't afraid to tell others that's what he did. He didn't hide his religion, nor was he ashamed of it. He was bold in what he did. I mean, wow, Israelis had a place. I want to leave you with one fast story. And I want you to think about it good. And there's a young couple and they're getting married. And they go to the church and they have the wedding, a beautiful big wedding. They have the reception. And they get ready to leave and everybody throws rice on them as they go out and they jump into the limousine and they take off. And as they start down the road, the bride looks over at the groom and she says, I want to go home. And he says, well, honey, our home isn't ready yet. We're going to go on our honeymoon and get to really know one another and have fun together. And then we'll come home and our home will be ready. And she says, no, I want to go home to my mother's house. I want to see all of my old friends and do all of my own things. That's where I want to go. And he says, what do you mean? We're married. She says, no, I want to spend time with my friends. Have my mom take care of me. Do all of these things. She says... When I need a husband, I'll call on you when I get in trouble. And you can help me out financially. Or if I get sick, you can come take care of me. I might want to spend one day a week with you. How many of you would like to have a marriage like that, guys? Think about this. The groom is Jesus Christ. The bride is his church. How many of you are spending time with your Savior? Thank you. I probably went over. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We just praise you. We appreciate everything you do for us. Let us be thankful and set apart for you. And Father, I pray those that don't know you today that they might come up and talk, seek prayer, whatever, and that you will bless them with eternal life like you've blessed so many of us. So we just thank you for this day, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.